Due to the graphic nature of this urban legend, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes the victimization of a child and brief discussions of childhood sexual trauma. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Clowns. They can be a whimsical addition to any child's birthday party. They tell jokes, do tricks, make balloon animals. They make the impossible possible before your very eyes. Or they can be a creature that lurks in the sewers, waiting to drag you down into a crushing, infinite abyss. But that's pretend, right? Their makeup hides their faces. The costumes turn their bodies into funhouse versions of the human form. There's something about a clown that's just not quite right. Which is why when we see them outside of the circus, we tend to want to run. Welcome to Haunted Places, a ParCast original. I'm Greg Polson. Every Thursday, we take you to the scariest, eeriest, most haunted, real places on Earth and share their stories. This episode is part of our Urban Legends Halloween special. Every day for the month of October, we're presenting our spooky spin on an urban legend, then diving into the history of the horror. Like it or not, each terrifying tale contains a grain of truth. You can find episodes of Haunted Places and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Haunted Places for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Haunted Places in the search bar. At Parcast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. And if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. Today, we examine a story that blends the tropes of home invasion stories, such as last week's Aren't You Glad You Didn't Turn On The Lights? with Coulrophobia, the fear of clowns. The clown statue gives the killer hiding in the house a new and truly disturbing disguise. Some people's favorite form of party entertainment and everyone else's nightmare. People hate clowns. People hate serial killers. A clown serial killer lurking in your house is, as a result, the stuff of nightmares. The clown statue is a relatively modern urban legend, only coming into prominence in the early 2000s. It is a culmination of the growing phenomenon of phantom clown sightings that began after the 1978 arrest of serial killer John Wayne Gacy, who was dubbed the killer clown by the press. Since being introduced to the likes of Gacy, Pennywise, and many more B-movie killer clowns, Coulrophobia has been on the rise. The clown statue stokes these fears while offering an extremely vulnerable victim in an unusually confined space. (laughs) 
For Fern, Friday nights were for babysitting. She'd drive her crappy car up into the Hollywood Hills to a house she could only dream of owning. For a handful of hours, she would live a life of luxury. It was the only real perk of her internship, and the only time her boss actually paid for her labor. The house was historic, one of those architectural marvels built for long-forgotten 30s film stars. Most of it was off-limits to her, but the owners had a home theater system to die for, and the logins to watch newly released studio movies from the comfort of their home. She played pirates with Nell and T for a few hours, the three brandishing their plastic swords like the blades were made of hard steel. Nell and T tried to overthrow Fern's bedtime rule, holding her hostage and forcing her to walk the pillow-covered plank. Fern tumbled over the side into the icy waters of the royal blue plush rug. Nell and T whooped with pride. They were too busy celebrating to notice that Fern had risen from the depths to put them to bed. She scooped them up, one in each arm, and carried them up the stairs. T was the easier one to get to sleep. Fern tucked her in carefully, pulling the covers close to the little girl's neck. She kissed T's forehead and said goodnight. Nell, on the other hand, wouldn't stop jumping on her own bed. Fern asked her to stop, and Nell just stared at her. She told Fern that she always had to do this before bed. Fern knew for a fact that Nell was lying. She'd watched the girls every Friday for the past few months, but there was something about the child's wide eyes and trembling lip that worried her. She didn't look like she was jumping because she wanted to, but because she was too nervous to lie still. Fern told Nell that she didn't have to go to sleep just yet. They could talk for a minute instead. Nell nodded her head, plopping down onto the bed. Fern sat beside her and calmly asked Nell why she didn't want to go to bed. The girl chewed her lip, then raised a shaky finger to point at the corner of her room. It was empty. Fern studied the area, but she couldn't see much. She asked Nell what was wrong with the corner. He watches me, Nell said. The monster man. Fern wasn't sure how to help. Worries ran through her head, but the Brights were nice people. Nell hadn't shown any fear around her father ever. All the house and admin staff were women. No one else had access to her room. Fern sent a quick text to her boss, Nell's mother. A response came back almost immediately. Nell was having nightmares. Every night this week, she dreamt of a man with a large white face and giant red eyes. Crimson spikes of hair stood out at odd angles. His lips were soaked in blood. And when he smiled, his jaw started to come loose. Every night, it was the same image. Nell claimed that the monster man, with his oversized feet and small hands, was standing in the corner of her room, staring with that unsettling smile. He smelled like rotten food, and he never blinked. He just watched her all the time. Nell swore she wasn't dreaming. There was a monster in her room. 
Mr. and Mrs. Bright had searched the room on their own and found nothing. It had to be a nightmare. Mrs. Bright told Fern to do a quick sweep of the room for Nell's peace of mind, and not to be alarmed if she screamed again. Nightmares were common in young children. The world was a scary place. But Nell would be perfectly fine. Fern felt better about the situation. She told Nell that the monster man was on vacation tonight, and if he tried to come back early, Fern would defeat him. That's just what babysitters did. Nell's lips pursed, and Fern could almost watch the little cogs in her head spinning. She was trying to figure out if the babysitter was telling the truth, and if she really could take on the monster. After a moment, Nell gave the slightest nod of her head. Fern smiled. She made a big show of her search, crouching down to check under the bed, behind the bookshelves, anywhere a monster man might be hiding. She stood and dusted herself off. There was just one more place to check. The closet. The light switch wasn't working. Fern searched for another option, eventually finding a chain dangling in the darkness. She gripped it tight and pulled it down. She expected a light to come on. Instead, a rectangular portion of the ceiling extended down, quickly followed by a sliding ladder. Fern barely dodged it, throwing herself into a pile of dress-up clothes. She recovered quickly, sticking her head out of the closet and smiling to show Nell she was fine. It was all clear. Big houses were full of weird crawl spaces and hatches, especially one as old as the Brights. She closed up the attic hatch and was about to head out when she caught Nell's eye. The little girl was still staring into the depths of the closet. Oh, Nellie, she cooed. She came over to sit with her, trying to see what the little girl saw. The closet did look frightening from where Nell sat. The glow of the small paper lanterns that lit the room at night was too soft to make sense of the shadows. The ends of Nell's shirts looked like long hands extending into the darkness. Even Fern could imagine something slithering down the sleeve, grasping onto the child's hand and pulling them away. Fern held up her finger in a wait gesture and stepped again into the darkness. Several of the boxes were tilting precariously forwards. Fern tried to push them back, but there was something blocking the way. She pushed harder. It just wouldn't give. She pulled some of the boxes away and found a life-size statue. It looked like a long-forgotten prop from one of Mrs. Bright's films. Faded striped jumpsuit obnoxious red shoes, and a painted face frozen in the most unsettling smile Fern had ever seen. The lips were stretched wide. Gray teeth sharpened to points glinted in the darkness. It smelled like someone had left it in the sun for too long and the rubber had melted. Fern shivered. She didn't want to be here anymore, so close to this thing. It didn't seem kind to the Brights to store a prop like this in their kid's closet, 
but the house was also packed to the gills with silver screen memorabilia. They'd probably intended to take it up to the attic and forgotten. She would mention it to Mrs. Bright when they got back. She closed the closet door and turned back towards Nell's bedroom. The little girl was still watching her closely. She pasted on a smile and told her that everything was all right. She checked the whole room and told the monster man to leave her alone. Nell said, thank you, and crawled under the covers. Fern went to her side, tucking her in the rest of the way. She kissed her head and told her to sleep tight. Fern had taken care of the monsters, so she should be safe. She stayed with Nell for about 20 minutes, rubbing her back, humming slow versions of pop songs until the little girl's eyes closed. Fern raised herself from the bed and headed for the bedroom door. But the closet door was cracked again. She tiptoed over to close it. She could have sworn that the clown statue had been in the back. Fern remembered shuffling the boxes around, but the boxes were closer than they had been a minute ago. And so was the clown. She told herself to be brave and examined it again, this time from the more comforting and more well-lit side of the threshold. It was all the same. Horrifying smile, terrifying paint job, but still, nonetheless. She silently closed the closet door, not wanting to wake Nell. She told herself she was just revved up from Nell's own nightmares. The clown hadn't moved. It couldn't have. Could it? Coming up, Fern and her new visitor have a few laughs. Now back to the story. Fern padded down the hallway towards the home theater, trying to push the image of the horrible clown statue in Nell's closet from her mind. She was surprised by how much it had unnerved her. Nell and her sister T were little kids with little kids' imaginations. They saw monsters everywhere. She was the adult. She was the babysitter. If she couldn't deal with a movie prop in the bright storage closet, did she really have any right to be here? She was just tired, that was all. It had been a long week at her internship, and she needed to relax. Fern settled down into a recliner and turned on the massive TV. She navigated through the apps and selected a new release to watch. Nell was crying. Fern wanted to check on her. She looked at the text from Nell's mother again. She was perfectly fine. Sometimes kids just need to cry it out. Fern didn't like it, but she wasn't the girl's parent. She couldn't lose her internship. So she waited, gritting her teeth against the sounds of Nell's distress. After a minute or two, the sound stopped. It was as her mother had said. Nell was fine. Fern pressed play on the movie. It didn't take long for her to start regretting her choice. It was an action flick, with fight scenes that droned on and on, and a plot that Fern could barely follow. 
As her attention started to waver, her eyes slid to the popcorn machine and movie posters. There was another statue in the corner. It was nearly identical to the one in Nell's room. She hadn't noticed it before, but now it was the only thing she could see. The spiky hair, the faded white clown makeup, the strange teeth. It was a well-done replica, but it gave her the creeps. And for the life of her, she couldn't figure out why the family thought they needed two of them. There was a padding of footsteps behind her. She turned her head to find T, hovering behind the couch, dancing nervously on her tiptoes. She said she'd heard something and needed help. Mrs. Bright hadn't said anything about T having nightmares, so Fern took her hand and they walked upstairs together. She checked T's bedroom as the little girl watched. Under the bed was clear. The closet had a working overhead light, which made checking it much easier. Just clothes and a few boxes. No clowns. Fern asked about the noise. T said she heard someone scream her name. They sat down on the bed together, as Fern explained that Nell had nightmares sometimes. That didn't mean they weren't safe, just that our brains could trick us sometimes. T said these screams were different. They were about the man coming for her, too. Fern didn't get paid enough for this. She gently explained that T was probably just picking up on Nell's fears. They were okay. Everything would be okay. The noises were scary, but they would stop. T looked like she didn't entirely believe her, but she settled back into her bed again. Fern went through the process of tucking her back in and headed back to the home theater. The clown statue was gone. Fern walked to where it had been. A single piece of fire engine red hair had fallen onto the wooden floor. Fern tried to slow her breathing as she texted Nell and T's mother one more time. She asked if the clown statue wasn't a statue, but an animatronic. The girl's father worked in specialty props. It was possible. God, she hoped it was possible. Mrs. Bright just texted back a series of question marks. Then, a six-word reply that made Fern's blood run cold. We don't have a clown statue. Fern looked at the phone buzzing in her hand, ear-shatteringly loud in the silent house. Fern silenced it immediately, texting Mrs. Bright to call the police. She pulled Mr. Bright's L.A. Dodgers baseball bat out of its display case and raised it, ready to swing. Then she went in search of T and Nell. T's room was the closer of the two bedrooms. The door was wide open. The bedsheets were torn off the bed. T was gone. Fern sprinted down the hallway. The door to Nell's room was closed. She whispered Nell's name. No answer. Fern opened the door the rest of the way. The first thing she noticed was the blood. 
Nell's purple bedspread was soaked in it, the dark red substance already starting to turn brown. How long had Fern let her cry without coming upstairs? Fern covered her mouth with her hand, afraid she was going to be sick. She swallowed her own fear and looked around the room. Nell was gone. She told herself that was a good thing. If Nell wasn't here, she wasn't dead yet. She still had time to reach her. Her eyes landed on the closet. She opened the door. No clown inside. The cord for the ladder swung over her head. Fern hated attics. She didn't want to be trapped in the top of a house with a stranger. But those kids needed her. So she pulled the cord down, stepping back so the ladder would touch down without hitting her in the head. She grabbed onto the wooden slats of the ladder and started to pull herself up, rung by rung the bat awkwardly wavering in her left hand. The boards were slick with blood. Her hand slipped, but she caught herself. Her body slammed into the ladder, and she barely caught the bat before it tumbled towards the floor. Fern pulled herself higher and higher. Her head poked into the top of the attic. A large pool of blood trailed across the floor. She put her hands on the baseboards of the attic and pulled herself up the rest of the way. Moonlight spilled through a large window at the apex of the house, illuminating a small campsite, a sleeping bag, a gas stove. Nell's nightmares had been real. She raised the bat, determined, and called into the cavernous darkness. T answered her back. Relief rushed through Fern. At least one of them was safe. She followed the sound of T's voice. The little girl was kneeling next to her sister's body. Nell's face had lost all sight of color. Her lips were cracked and dry. Her eyes glassy. But there was a faint in and out of breath. She was still alive. Fern dropped the bat to pick her up, but something tackled her from behind, slamming her into one of the support beams. It was the statue. No, the person. The person, the clown, was pummeling her again and again. She desperately reached for the bat, screaming to T to grab her sister and run. The clown picked her up and slammed her into the attic floor. She felt something, both below and inside her, begin to crack, then break. And then she was falling through the air, outside the house, the clown staring at her from the attic window. Its smile finally turned to puzzlement. Her back smacked into a police car sitting in the Bright's driveway. Its lights flashed and its engine blared. Even in her hazy vision, she could see men with guns heading into the grand entryway. The medics strapped her to a gurney and were rolling her into an ambulance when the armored men re-emerged. T came out first, holding an officer's hand. 
Then came Nell. She looked so small, wrapped up in the officer's arms, but she was still breathing, however slightly. Fern waited for the clown to make it through the doorway. Handcuffs or a body bag, she didn't care. But he never came. The police couldn't find any trace of him. The clown statue falls into a group of home invasion urban legends with several common tropes. A woman victim, usually a babysitter or woman living on her own for the first time, and a misdirect, where the killer chooses to hide in the house for an extended period of time, rather than carrying out their crime and escaping. It's also extremely common for the killer in these stories to strike in the bedroom suggesting the possibility of sexual violence against the female victim or her young charges. The clown statue frequently ends with the police apprehending the clown, who was revealed to be a wanted sexual predator, and many versions of the story include one of the babysitter's charges, describing a monster that comes to her at night for several days. While the themes of the clown statue are familiar, we're left with a puzzling question. Why a clown? While clowning has been around for centuries, it didn't really enter the horror lexicon until the apprehension and trial of John Wayne Gacy, a part-time birthday party and parade clown who murdered at least 33 teenagers and young men between 1972 and 1978. The staggering number of victims, combined with Gacy's profession, earned him the moniker The Killer Clown. Shortly after Gacy's case broke, folklorists began to observe a strange phenomenon. Claims of sightings of sinister clowns using candy to lure minors into their vans. In many cases, the rumors themselves came from children, who reported seeing the menacing figures around their schools and playgrounds brandishing knives or guns. When adults investigated, they found no trace. This doesn't mean that all clowns are harmless. On May 26, 1990, 40-year-old Wellington, Florida resident Marlene Warren was shot and killed by a person dressed as a clown who came to her doorstep bearing a bouquet of red and white carnations and a balloon reading, You're the Greatest. Clown makeup makes a good disguise because it subverts the actual contouring of the face, enlarging some features and minimizing others making it difficult to recall the identifying features beneath the exaggeration. This exaggeration also places clowns in the so-called uncanny valley, an element of cognition where the brain recognizes that a person or object resembles a human just enough to make the visual gap between it and actual humanity deeply unsettling. The uncanny valley often comes up in conversations about androids, special effects, and video games. But any kind of near but slightly off-human features or movement can elicit the unnerving response. The brain expects one thing and gets another, creating a feedback loop it can't reconcile. This uncanny valley can make us avoid clowns entirely, and it's given us some of the most iconic villains in film history. 
it's hard to believe that a killer would choose to act as a living statue in order to carry out his work. But the clown statue speaks to a much deeper fear about clowns' ability to subvert expectations and unnerve the public. As John Wayne Gacy himself told investigators, you know, clowns can get away with murder. Thanks again for tuning into Haunted Places. We'll be back tomorrow with a new urban legend, and on Thursday with a new haunted place. You can find more episodes of Haunted Places and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all your favorite ParCast originals, like Haunted Places for free, from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Haunted Places on Spotify, just open the app and type Haunted Places in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. Until tomorrow, don't believe some of the things you hear. Believe all of them. Haunted Places was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, with sound design by Kenny Hobbs. Production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Haunted Places was written by Lil D. Ritter and Jennifer Rache. I'm Greg Polson. <laughs>